0: Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton,
1: we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us. If you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple podcasts, those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at close talking poetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us
0: on social media on Twitter. The show is at close talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn and Connor is at Connor M Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's Facebook.com/slash Close Talking. We also have a website, CloseTalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show. And Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed. And if you go to CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes on with the show. Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Jack Rossiter-Munley.
1: And I am your other co-host, Connor mcnamara Stratton.
0: And we are gathered here today as we are every other week to talk about a wonderful poem. I say a wonderful poem because it's obviously objectively going to be true as it is every time, but also I picked it and I'm slightly biased because I only pick heaters. Can't argue with that.
1: Cannot argue with that.
0: Today's poem is called Time Traveler by the Irish poet Patrick Cotter. And I am very excited because uh, we've talked about a few different Irish poets over the course of this podcast and Connor and I both have Irish heritage. Um, but last year, nope, Definitely not last year time. How does it work? I don't know. Maybe we'll figure it out by reading this poem.
1: I see what you did Ah, there. Look at that.
0: Yeah. No, that was was on purpose. Totally intentional. Um, (laughs) Just over two years ago, I actually traveled to Ireland for the first time and visited the city of Cork, which is where Patrick Cotter uh, makes his home and does his good works. So I was particularly happy as I was getting ready for this episode and, you know, reading up on Patrick and reading more of his poetry and and learning about it to, to revisit old Cork, which was a (laughs) lovely place to spend some time. Uh, Just a, a great city, great surrounding environment. Great place.
1: Love it. I aim to go there one day. I have only been to Dublin. Yeah. I am very excited about this poem. It has, yeah, it really hits the, like, Irish poem uh, (laughs) thing. Whatever the thing is, it hits it. You know what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. No, I'm excited to talk about it with you because uh, of your deep knowledge of the Irish poetic tradition that I feel like you're going to bring a lot to this that I just... (laughs) Never could on my own. Um, So I'm particularly excited about that. So Patrick Cotter, as we said, an Irish poet. I highly encourage anybody listening to go to Patrick Cotter's website, PatrickCotter.ie, and check out the about page because it is a trip and a half and I love it. He has released quite a few collections of poetry, Perplexed Skin in 2008, Making Music in 2009, Sonic White Poise, which is out this year. Um, also has been widely anthologized in a lot of, uh, collections, many of them obviously of Irish poetry and contemporary Irish poetry, also has had poems in the London Review of Books, the Financial Times, and was the 2013 Keats Shelley Prize winner. So lots and lots going on for Patrick Cotter. And the, as I said, the poem we're talking about today is Time Traveler. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Time Traveler by Patrick Cotter. Now is before he was born, days of air shaken by bees, crow song probing eaves and quays, maker of the future, a perfect terracotta tense, a tense which sings. The absence of push in his education was unpresaged by the door's lack of wired sesame. He waits and waits for egress. The door needs only his touch. Its only desire is to swing. He waits for it to open itself as the cloud opens for the melting press of the sun. He is ready to rot where he leans, leaving a breeze-blown blemish long after he has arrived, long before he has come into being. Sam. I know. I know, right? We usually kick it off with a uh, a narrative of the poem, but I feel like as is the case with most time travel experiences <laughs> in uh, in literature or cinema, it defies narrativization and in fact uh, becomes kind of interesting and circular. Uh, there's maybe a titular character of the time traveler who is circuitously rounding the minutes in some way throughout the poem and that's about as much narrative as I glean from it (laughs) (laughs) I've got some like suppositions and some whatevers but I feel like on a basic narrative like i can say for sure this is happening here that's about as far as i get i don't know about you but like that, that i'm i'm not
1: beyond that i'm just <laughs> connecting dots that i don't even know if they're there <laughs> um all i can say in addition to that is that there is a door and the door yes there is, is a door opening in some way at some point. And the 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 character is waiting for that. Or maybe opening the door. But maybe but, it's never opening? Maybe not. Maybe it's he's not... just
0: uh, waiting for
1: Ghidor. Wow. Hey. Waiting for Ghidorah yeah got him Mm. nothing to be done um
0: (laughs) yeah i bet you wish you could time travel back before you heard that huh
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes there are some things there is maybe a sense of place more than a sense of time could that be the case
0: I think that is kind of the case Um, and that's part of why I think narrative is hard to do with it because narrative does rely on a somewhat linear progression of time usually Um, even if it is not a linear progression there's at least like a linear story progression even if it hops back and forth in time but yeah there is there is definitely a sense of place and there are several objects Mm -hmm. that give you a sort of sense of what's going on as you so rightly pointed out the door is the big one
1: because we got this like crow song probing eaves and quays which i looked up on miriam webster both of these because they're they're um i kind of knew what an eve was but i was having a bit of trouble it's what the um, desperados are under yeah that's so, for all those yeah. warren
0: zivon fans out in the audience i got you
1: Yeah, it's like that part of the roof that's like hanging over the wall. That's the eave. And then the quay, which Merriam-Webster's first pronunciation, which is not what I was going to think, was keys, which sounds suspect to me, but would sound cool with eaves and keys. Does sound like eaves. But basically, it's like a landing... Place on the bank of a waterway type thing that's like parallel to the water so it's like kind of a thing like that then you got this like perfect terracotta tents which like is abstract obviously but you got the terracotta which is that like kind of clay earthenware stuff um And then there's the door, um, which I feel like the door, it's like a very loose door based on the, it's like, um, you know, it's only desire is to swing. It only needs his touch. He waits for it to open itself. Like, it's like one of those, you know, it's not like locked into place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Well,
0: and also the the imagery around the door makes it less easy. It makes it harder to envision it, I think, because there's these wires at one point, which makes you think, like, maybe futuristic door, and it only needs your touch, and its only desire is to swing. So, like, do you kind of gesture at the door, and it flies open like you're in a sci-fi fantasy world? (laughs) But also... (laughs) Mm. you know it has a lack of wired sesame which puts you in mind of alibaba and the 40 thieves open sesame like these yeah. access to this cave of loot in olden times you know it's sort of it it piles on this time confusing imagery which i really like and obviously fits really well with the whole conceit of the poem but it also as much as there is a bit of a sense of place i do find that then confounding in terms of fully envisioning the door or how you would like interact with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but yeah, like I'm just, I have like sort of an image of a, of a town or a city or a place in a town or a city that has those, like the eaves and the quays and the door (laughs) (laughs) and it's, I don't know. Um, and the bees and the crows. Um, so, but yeah, no, I agree that it it does defy, um, narrativization because like, you know, the beginning is like now is before he was born. Um, and then like it ends with, you know, he leaves this breeze blown blemish, long after he has arrived, long before he has come into being. So it's like, we don't know when (laughs) exactly anything is happening. That that's kind of in terms of as as literal play by play by place by place. That's as close as I can get. I'm curious what drew you to this poem?
0: I mean, there's always the court connection. But time travel's weird, and it's hard to think about. And this poem kind of does that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's honestly a lot of it, is just there are so many different stories that deal with time travel. And some of them are really popular. I know we have talked about the MCU on various occasions. And I know that you are slowly molasses-like making your way through... The existing <laughs> catalogue of films, despite access to all of them via the Disney Plus platform. Uh
1: okay, I don't subscribe to Disney Plus. Let's be clear.
0: Okay, yeah, but I do, whatever. I will in no way share my login information with you. <laughs> like, no spoilers for the MCU, but like time travel does eventually show up as a a, a feature in the narrative. And currently the Disney Plus series that's happening right now, Loki is all about time and timelines and kind of after the culminating event of the first four phases of the marvel cinematic universe which leads to this literally titanic confrontation because it's thanos the mad titan i know i'm not ruining anything for you and also i don't think you care that much but (laughs) nope yep (laughs) ah um ruin away my friend
1: ruin away
0: i don't think this ruins anything but like the main thrust of those films is leading to thanos who's getting the infinity gauntlet with all the infinity stones one of which is a time stone but like in the search for something to like continue on from that that makes that threat look small it looks like something to do with time and control over time and all reality through time is kind of where they're going in the MCU. Um, but obviously it's not just the MCU there's also back to the future. there's also whatever that movie that Chris Pratt is in on Amazon right now is something the about tomorrow
1: time. war
0: the tomorrow war It's war oh,
1: tomorrow which is kind of like that uh, seems like that Tom Cruise, movie that was like
0: uh edge of tomorrow edge
1: of tomorrow yes
0: when you're at the edge of tomorrow's war then you're really getting there but like and also there's the ones where you're stuck in a day there's groundhog day there's the comedy with krista Miliati and andy sandberg the name of which palm springs uh like like playing with time is a common thing but kind of no matter what the conceit is and i honestly i do think that avengers endgame handled this incredibly well to like explain enough how time travel works so that you're no longer thinking about it and just letting the movie happen. Because I find it basically impossible to think about time travel. Like I can't do it. I try. But at some point I'm just like I can't figure it like okay. You know we we do think about time a lot. And we do technically travel through time. We just only travel in one direction with no control over it. Yeah. You know, so like, I think that's part of why we're drawn to contemplating any other way of moving around in it. Um, because even with like physical travel, the forms of it that we're not capable of, like traveling around in space, we like to think about it and imagine what it would be like. So yeah, I mean, that basically, time travel's weird. It seems like... It's always around and people are interested in it, but it might be having a little bit of a moment right now. And so I've been (laughs) thinking about it a lot.
1: Time travels very in.
0: Time travel seems to be in vogue. Christopher Nolan and his backwards movie.
1: Yeah. But also his forwards movie. He's Christopher Nolan's whole thing is time. Everything he's done is about time. Yeah. Memento. Inception. Dunkirk.
0: The Dark Knight.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Batman Begins. Dark Knight all right, Rises. All right, all right. His the his... one where Batman makes a time machine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. If you take Christopher Nolan, <laughs> here's the equation. Yeah. Bill and it's... Ted's bogus Batman
0: boogaloo oh <laughs> directed by <God>. Christopher Nolan. <laughs> all the movies that he makes about stuff are about time, and like messing with time.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's notable. No, it's true. Well, and I mean, I will say, you know, what is time, et cetera. But the COVID crisis has certainly, uh, I mean, in terms of, you know, the main time path that we're all on, which Andrew Marvell of old once called Time's Winged Chariot. Love it. um,
0: Or as the... uh... The timekeepers of Loki would say the uh, sacred timeline.
1: That one's pressed on, and you know, all of our bodies are slowly breaking down um, in one way or the other.
0: But even then, like the narrative around what's happening, a lot of people are like, "Oh, your pandemic birthday doesn't count." Like you only you get two later. So like people really want to push against that, especially when it feels like nothing's happening.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's this kind of it became clear that a lot of the ways that we measure our time were through the sort of like way that society has structured itself. Um, And kind of like with the shutdown and the many shutdowns and with uh, just like both, I think, kind of the the fact that the life life's routines totally shifted, but then also the fact that (laughs) the kind of governing logics of society expose themselves is even more bullshit and absurd, you know, taking it sort of thinking about it more from a, like, art and literature point of view, this is, um, there's a great interview with the um, writer Stuart Dybeck, who's most known i think for his short fiction short stories uh and we'll link to this and i i've i've referenced it but not for a while but he has he has this idea kind of like a craft idea about like different modes and how there's you know like a lyrical mode and like um a narrative mode um and a dramatic mode and the the modes kind of map onto genres but they're not exclusive to each genre so obviously like the dramatic mode for you know is like natural in plays the lyrical mode is natural in poetry the narrative mode is natural in like prose fiction um and there's like an expository mode but that's a little less
0: that's only uh, naturally and boring stuff <laughs> pew, 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 pew.
1: like a poetry analysis podcast <laughs> one of the the ways that he often distinguishes those modes is actually their relation to time so the dramatic mode which makes sense when you think about a play is basically like a one-to-one uh thing so like the play's time is happening at at the same time as real time right it's like you watch it happening. They're having a scene. Whereas like, um, narrative time, like, you know, in an extreme example, you have like the section of Virginia wolves to the lighthouse, uh, time passes, you know, where you have 20 pages of the book and years and years and years pass. Right. So the sort of like the time it takes the reader to read it does not match at all the time that's being covered by the, you know, by the narrative Um, and rather the logic of the time is, is, you know, is, is narrative is, you know, linked events in that sort of structure. Um, And lyrical time is basically slower than dramatic time. Um, So, you know, like, and and this I think is 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 quite clear when you think about a poem where you can think about just like the you know even even this poem even as it goes back and forth in time it's like the central kind of like action that may or may not happen is like the swinging of a door which would take not that much time but it extends sort of through throughout the poem in a kind of way. Um, and, you know, we've talked about lots of poems where, you know, the, what happens is, is one little moment that's then dwelled on. And you can kind of see how the, the time of the poem, you know, the time it takes the reader to read the poem is much longer than the, the happening and the time sort of in the world of the poem. Um, and but why I like this concept is how different genres can play with different modes at different times. Um, and the example that Diebeck uses in the interview or one of them is the James Joyce story, the dead and how there's, it's quite a long short story, but there's, so at at one point there's basically like this dinner scene and this conversation that's like quite long that happens. But the scene itself, like you really, <laughs> it's like all, you get all of the dialogue. It's not just like, you know, a little tidbit here, a little tidbit there. So that the, the play or the story sort of like uh, moves into a dramatic mode in that moment. Um, and then at the end of the, the story, you know, it's like snowing and it's this very kind of beautiful lyrical moment and not much time is passing. But the scene of the snowing like takes up a lot of space. And so the, the story sort of like moves into um, kind of lyrical uh, mode, sort of like at the end. I don't know. And, and it and similarly, this is like kind of my own riff on it. But I often I remember we were talking about, gosh, it must have been right after the election in November and how like the time of the election was like just all consuming. And it also seemed like that was the momentous thing. But then like after it happened, obviously, great relief. Um, But then it was like, oh, there's a lot of life and shit to get through and it's this weird thing where like i feel like there's these different levels of time and like different paces where like poetry in some ways is like one of the slowest but also the one of the deepest and like politics electoral politics is like the fastest and the most shallow where (laughs) and like i just think about like listening to you know just like a, a political news show and it's just like all this shit happened but it's like it's the same shit and like nothing's actually changed and even stuff different shit it's
0: presented like all the same shit
1: exactly or yeah.
0: it's like the same shit but presented like it's different somehow like there's no yeah it all comes into the same what's interesting to me is that i completely agree and i feel like i've like electoral politics and poetry both for those exact reasons demand the most from viewers or readers because you have to be an active decoder of what you're engaging with for it to be meaningful and useful and to like see past whatever um, <laughs> so like poetry asks a lot of its readers and electoral politics if you're doing it right as a citizen asks a lot of you as a citizen because you have to go past the talking points in the rhetoric or in many cases the kind of horse race way that it's being covered to Drill down to the fact that like, oh, actually what's at heart here is very important issues that govern like Who can do what in the country and like whether or not you can actually live comfortably? Um, Yeah,
1: no, I I completely agree and I also I think about it in terms of like change like what's political change like you think about um, You know take the Senate elections in Georgia Uh, You know, on the one hand, there was like the campaigns for the candidates that took place over months, blah, 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 but then there was like okay what did it take to produce the result. Of the democrats taking Georgia and then you like you actually then it's like the scale of years where it's like okay Stacey Abrams and like all of the people who like are working to activate black voters in Georgia and, and other voters in Georgia who like aren't activated. And you can think about this in, in so many different ways of like, like a, a police murder of a black man, George Floyd. There's one way to measure that nine minutes and 29 seconds. Um, there's another way to mention, measure that 150 years of the Minneapolis police department. There's another way to me- measure that, you know, 400 plus years of you know um since the enslavement of African people and there's all these sorts of like political and whatever processes that are happening and people who are doing x y and z but but the scales of time um and it are are different and and yet relevant at any rate we uh, we sort of drifted away from the poem ever so slightly i think that's sort
0: of natural when the subject is like time and traveling through time because it is so all-encompassing i mean it is everywhere and everything there's so many riddles where the answer is like oh it's time Uh, (laughs) it was a clock you know it's like what what has hands and a face but isn't alive oh it's a clock gotcha timekeeping like, what's everywhere and nowhere and controls everything but controls nothing oh it's time Ooh, i got you again riddled so well um
1: my riddle is just like what sucks oh it's time, time sucks
0: but like i i do think that there's like also this necessary crossover i really i really like what you're saying about politics because i think what's happening right now And I don't ascribe like the popularity of time travel stories to this or anything. I don't think that's true because there've been so many of them, but I think what's going to be interesting to chart is that there are going to be more time travel stories on a larger scale soon, because that is definitely the direction where at least the MCU is going. But I also think that there's going to be a special resonance of those stories because not only we were talking about, obviously the way that like COVID completely warped just our experience of time, But I think one of the big allures of time and time travel stories is that not only do humans not have any control over time, but it is the one resource that in our lives we don't get more of. Like we have an unknown but finite amount of it in existence, which is a wild thing to think about. And in a time of converging crises, particularly existential threat crises like a pandemic, but I think in the longer term, climate change, we're going to want more time. And we're going to want more time to address those crises. And we're going to want more time with whatever landmarks are being destroyed. We're going to want more time to relocate people when their homes are being annihilated. We're just going to want more time. And we're not going to have any more of it. And I think that potentially on like a subconscious level, that is going to lead to even more interest in time travel stories. Because there's already a ton of interest. We've named dozens of them that are major pop culture phenomena and there are many others we haven't even talked about like doctor who like which has been around since the 60s like every time travel story possible is happening over in doctor who (laughs) the outlander series is about time travel the time traveler's wife like it's a major obsession for people to think about and what i really like about this poem is that so often in those stories you're experiencing time travel the way that you experience most stories you're experiencing it in some way that gives you a little bit of control over the unfolding events by giving you a character to latch on to whose time travel experience you are having or like in bill and ted you're with bill and ted as they travel through time they bring famous figures back so that they ace their history project Also, their time travel has no impact on the present. It doesn't matter that Socrates was removed whenever they went and grabbed him with their phone booth. Like, it's fine. Party on, dudes, whatever. You know? Like, that is a very safe interaction with time travel. What I like about this poem is that it is leaning into, and I think this really gets to what you were saying about the idea that different kind of forms lend themselves to different relationships to time. Poetry doesn't have to make time travel more comfortable. Which is a major concern for other forms of art that deal with time travel. In Avengers Endgame, they need to explain how time travel is going to work in their world. Same with Loki, same with all of these other stories. Like, There's either some explanation, or if they're not explaining it, it means that the natural consequences of time travel just can't apply, like Bill and Ted. Genghis Khan's removed doesn't matter the present is still the present whatever this poem is able to lean into all of the ways that time travel is just like confusing and contradictory and weird and I think that's for me partially because I've been thinking about time travel a lot like and I can't do it this poem allows me to not be able to do it and in fact tells me that's fine and natural you're not wired to think about this (laughs) it is a contradiction because I think that's part of why our conversation is so wide ranging because what this poem does is it opens up all the ways that time is potentially, like the implications of malleable time. And I think it does that right off, right from the beginning when it says now is before. Okay, that can technically be a way of describing something like now is before the time that we've invented a way to get to Mars. You'd never say it that way, (laughs) but like now isn't before anything now is now it's happening. It is, you know, now is, but it immediately kind of shakes you up. And then also like the, the very careful way that the words before and after are strategically deployed throughout the poem to just constantly keep you off balance, I think is, is really nice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's so right. And it's like a kind of, you know, instead of orienting oneself by place. It's a kind of, it's a kind of you're in one place, but you're moving around in time, sort of. And the the analogies I can think of are just sort of, you know, animals that like use echolocation or something. Like instead of sight, or like I just learned chickens are in tune with the magnetic poles of the world i think a lot of
0: birds are they they migrate okay that right off of
1: magnetic orientations yeah i think there's that element happening here where you have like you know as you were saying like now is before he was born um and and there's also this sort of delight in the way that you can just say something and your mind like the language forces it into happening, um, you know, where you can just have long after he has arrived and then follow that up with long before he has come into being. It's There's just so much. I feel like this is a rich kind of what I associate with sort of Irish kind of poetry, um, with this like maker of the future, a perfect terracotta tense, a tense which sings. The, I feel like there's some some puns happening here where you have like um, perfect tense is the, is the past tense, um, is, is another way of saying the past tense. Um, but there's also a future perfect tense, um, which is like, I will have done this kind of thing. But like, maker of the future a perfect terracotta tense a tense which sings there's a line break after perfect and so perfect has that kind of double meaning of oh it's a perfect it's the perfect tense it's the past tense but it's it's actually this tense that we're in you know this relation to time <laughs> is perfect in some way um and it's it's terracotta somehow which i don't quite understand Um, but then also like the, the perfect terracotta tense is the maker of the future, um, in this weird way, um, which sings thinking about that. And, and I think there's also the, the, you know, it's also one of those poems where the sounds are just so rich and it just makes me think of Seamus Heaney a lot. Um, And his, especially for some reason, I'm thinking of his Glamour sonnets. Um, But just the way that sounds are going like, you know, days of air shaken by bees, crow song probing eaves and quays, where the, the bees and the eaves um, and then all the different O's of crow song probing, the O. it's like E-O-A-O-E. It's like a, a palindrome of vowel sounds almost. And there's like, you know, perfect terracotta tense, a tense which sings, the S's are th- everywhere in the poem um, that kind of link it all together, but terracotta tense with the T's um, and the perfect like. I don't know. That's all. And and maker of the future, a perfect terracotta tense, like the K sounds in maker and perfect and terracotta. And then the F sounds in future and perfect. Um, it's just amazing. And you can, you can tell that the word choice is such that it's like elevated, but elevated in a sense of like, almost for the sound, you know, so you have like um he waits and waits for egress like egress is like not a word i hear very often um and that's just like coming in and out like entering i think basically yeah
0: basically like he waits and waits for the door to open
1: exactly because this
0: whole this whole passage is basically like he wants the door to open but he's not going to go push it open so he's hanging around the door really wants to open for him but he never (laughs) opens it and so he just is ready to wait there for as long as it takes for the door to open. Even if it means that he turns into a skeleton. Exactly. He's <laughs> like, ready to
1: rot. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> like.
1: No, that's yeah.
0: You know, I mean, I guess that probably should have said that up in the narrative part, I guess, but like
1: <laughs> we figured it out.
0: We got there in the end, you know, that's what matters.
1: And you have this sentence. That's like the absence of push in his education was unpresaged by the doors. Lack of wired Sesame. Um, again, like kind of punning on Sesame, although it's, it's still not quite clear (laughs) what else the Sesame, like what the main meaning of Sesame is, except as a reference to open Sesame. Um, although I'm thinking of something Brown, like Sesame, but, and like terracotta, I don't know. I was thinking about the colors, but I don't really know.
0: That's interesting because I had an overall feeling of this being a very kind of dusty desert
1: Hmm.
0: kind of yeah like i for some reason that was the overall palette that my head created for this and like scene that it set. i think partially because terracotta is is mentioned up there i think also because time traveler put me in mind of uh i met a traveler from a you know the the opening of ozymandias basically and then i think when Sesame came in, it got me into the web of like ancient world connections, like the terracotta warriors, Mm. you know, the thousand and one Arabian nights, Ozymandias and the ruins, like Egyptian ruins. Like, I feel like it, it got me into that headspace, whether it's intentionally or not. I felt like there were several signposts within the poem that kind of were taking me to like a desert ancient ruins in the sand kind of setting <laughs> which overall yeah. I mean mainly I'm, I'm responding to your mention of the color which like gave me this overall color palette of like beige and tan and gold and stuff as I was reading through
1: no absolutely but yeah that sentence is like so it's one of those sentences that when I think about like what it means it's like a totally bizarre way to write that because it's like the absence of push and push is like italicized in his education okay so like the fact that this he didn't wasn't taught that like <laughs> you can push something basically like do you know how to push he doesn't know how to push um was unpresaged and pr- presage is like to warn uh to like have a warning about something by the doors lack of wired sesame so for one thing there's like three negatives absence unpresaged lack of wired sesame um and what it's kind of saying is like the fact that he didn't know like how to push a thing like a door (laughs) Right. right was not warned or like you couldn't tell or something by the doors like because the door didn't have stuff that would keep it from moving around or something it's kind of like what I think it means it's like the door is not a sturdy door it's like floating around it loves to swing it's just trying to swing it's all it wants to do so the Third fact the door. That this dude has literally no idea how to push anything. You wouldn't know that about him because of this door, which is so pushy. Well, and then you get
0: like, so why was there no push in his education? Is he from a distant future where all doors have some kind of like... (laughs) like you don't push doors anymore they all open for you when you walk up to them so like is he just gonna wait for this one to do that and he doesn't know how to deal with it even though the door is like oh let me do my door job and open up like oh push me i'm ready to open right he's from
1: the future he's going into the past where you have to push doors where you have to open doors that's tough for a man of the future
0: well and then there's this other interesting like temporal move that's sort of happening where he waits for it to open forever and it puts me in mind of like to move forward in time we have to keep walking through the door of the next moment and so if he's not going through the door is he also then time traveling again by just standing still um and it put me in mind of obviously i've mentioned it several times in many different contexts the play in at the wind which is beautiful and wonderful and the film adaptation is absolutely transcendently good um but there's this little interaction between the main characters it's about the scopes monkey trial which was clarence darrow and william jennings Bryan. in the movie it's uh matthew harrison brady and uh henry drummond but they're they're old friends and now they're on opposite sides of the evolution debate and they're sitting on the porch and they're basically reckoning with the fact that now as old men they are ideological opposites when they had been friends and Henry Drummond had like campaigned for Brady when he ran for president. And now they're so far apart and they're talking about that. Basically Brady, who's the conservative says, how did we ever move? Like, how did you move so far away from me? And Drummond responds, perhaps it's you who moved by standing still. And I feel like some of that is what's going on here with this choice of like, I'm going to sit here and turn into a skeleton, is, in a way, removing himself from the flow of time.
1: That, I love that. That's That makes a lot of sense. So you gave me lots of thoughts. The one thought is, that sentence is totally wild. It sounds very beautiful. It has a lot of sounds and stuff, and shahs. The absence of push in his education was unpresaged by the door's lack of wired sesame. He waits and waits for egress. The door needs only his touch. I feel like we move from push to education, unpresaged to that touch with the ch a little bit. There's a different logic, sentence logic. Um... Is not at work it's more the sound logic but i think that you're really right about which is the other thought that i had after your thought which is that this is a sonnet
0: oh let's get those sonnet trumpets going there it is that's the sonnet fanfare we know and love <laughs>
1: Okay, and if you have listened to our sonnet week from April Poetry Month, if you haven't, I recommend it. Uh, Either way, one of the features of the sonnet, it usually has 14 lines, um, but it has in the middle a volta or a turn of some kind that in the Petrarchan, style and variations often comes after the eighth line. So I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I see the, I see the 14. Um, Bada boom, bada bing. Um, We don't have quite a rhyme scheme, but we have this eighth line. The door needs only his touch. Its only desire is to swing. That's the ninth line. And I got to thinking about turns. And I got to thinking about swings. Ooh. And I was like, what if the sonnet is a door? I'm liking where this is going a whole and lot. the volta is the hinge to Ooh. the door. Ooh. Ooh. And we are but merely reading the door as it moves back and forth. Oh, my goodness. In the wind. Oh, what? Kind of going back and forth in time because we're going back and forth in the poem. And I thought, that's kind of cool, maybe. That's so Um, cool. And... Cause I feel like the swinging and the, the moment of the door may be swinging, but then also of course, you know, in a way it doesn't, there's not a quite, there's not quite a turn. <laughs> like it signals the turn, but the man doesn't know about pushing. And so he doesn't actually, he could have pushed the sonnet into the turn, into the volta, but he doesn't, quite want to and it's it's a sonnet its only desire is to swing um but instead he waits for it to open itself um and yeah i don't know like quite what to make of all that except for then what i was thinking about with the the kind of what stuart diebeck was talking about in that lyrical mode and how time is slowing um and also about like the poetry sort of deep time and then when you were talking about that kind of like standing still is its own form of time travel uh by kind of resisting it in a way um i don't know it made me think about poetry in a way of this sort of lovely presence like being with a poem and its stillness in a sense and that kind of like he's ready to rot where he leans leaving a breeze blown blemish long after he has arrived long before he has come into being and like the poem itself the sounds throughout have been very sort of um, above the surface uh, like you kind of notice them more sometimes than you notice the meaning like because I'm like, I don't know what an eve or a quay is, but I like how that sounds. I don't know what egress or unpresaged like they're like, ooh, I like moving my tongue in that way. (laughs) It's kind of fun. And then, but then this moment at the end, like leaving a breeze blown blemish long after he has arrived, like that's the the three B's alliteration is like this, the sound density is like reaching its kind of peak. It's the most attention, I think, your ear. Uh, it's very interesting to think about the door as the poem now, because it's this kind of Well, you can go kind of in all directions, but this, like, that um, it reminds me of this one poem by Billy Collins, Introduction to Poetry. Um, And it's kind of like, I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light, like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. you know, I say drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out um, and all of that stuff. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. And that kind of like, you know, the unlocking the meaning of the poem as, as sort of like, the pushing of the door like the like i want something from you i'm gonna go through you and i'm gonna use you and touch you and and um i don't know and then it it it's like this sort of this he is just like standing by the door (laughs) waiting for it it's kind of I don't know. I was, I was recently, I, I went on a hike with Sarita. It was very beautiful. It was very hard. Too hard for me. Cause I'm quite out of shape.
0: Nature boy over here.
1: And it was just one of those things of being, being, you know, you know, nothing spectacularly profound about it, but just being near, nature being in nature being of nature and being and not kind of you know extracting anything from it but moving through it
0: i'm really into it one of my favorite things that happens in that little moment you were pointing out where the the sounds kind of all converge um similar to I'm told how you should structure a workout or a a hike or a run it (laughs) has a little warm up and cool down period before the the most intensity and it kind of warms up and cools down with L's before that condensed B part Mm -hmm. um, because he leans leaving a breeze blown blemish long and so you get the leans and leaving and then obviously that condensed breeze blown blemish but also the L's are paired with B's in the next two so that when you then hit long, there's more resonance, but it also gets that kind of crescendo feel where it kind of comes up and then it comes down. Mm. Uh, And I like that aspect of it.
1: Yeah. Should we uh, read it again? Let's read
0: it again. This is time traveler by Patrick Cotter. Now is before he was born days of air shaken by bees, crow-song probing eaves and quays, maker of the future, a perfect terracotta tense, a tense which sings. The absence of push in his education was unpresaged by the door's lack of wired sesame. He waits and waits for egress. The door needs only his touch. Its only desire is to swing. He waits for it to open itself as the cloud opens for the melting press of the sun. He is ready to rot where he leans, leaving a breeze-blown blemish long after he has arrived, long before he has come into being.
1: Jack, I just, I simply want to know what is going on in your world? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you standing near? What are you pushing or not pushing? I mean, I'm pushing those weights, baby.
0: Going to the gym, getting ripped and swole. (laughs) Just (laughs) cut and thick. Oh, boy. Just benching my pecs off and squatting like there's no tomorrow.
1: Ah, oh, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. Uh, I have not been reading a lot, I will confess. I'm not quite sure why, but the last little bit, even audiobooks, I haven't really been doing it. It's mostly been like conversation based podcasts. But I have been watching a lot of the internet because it's an unending well of entertainment. But what I have (laughs) what I've been doing and it sort of fits with the theme of time travel because this is history and whatnot uh, is this really charming show from the mid 2000s called Two Men in a Trench where two uh, two guys who are friends travel around England and Scotland and Wales and they dig up old battlegrounds and they talk about the history and it is the most like fun low budget history show that's mostly these two young guys and their pals digging up stuff and talking about history and it is just the most fun a very soothing watch a very fun watch you learn stuff along the way they've got great accents two men in a trench i used to come home from high school every week i would watch two men in a trench instead of doing my homework
1: (laughs) wow i love that
0: (laughs) yep that was that was one of my things it brought me great joy at a time when school was not bringing me joy (laughs) and was causing me a lot of stress and unhappiness Mm. and anxiety yeah and the the two men in their trench they got it they got me i love tony and neil
1: tony and neil
0: but yeah i i highly recommend it they there are many full episodes available on YouTube so just go to YouTube put in two men in a trench you've got a world of learning and fun at your fingertips Amazing! Uh, and I have no real reading recommendations because I've been reading the same stuff that I've recommended I haven't finished those books yet still reading about white supremacy and a bunch of other junk uh, and it's edifying it. but it doesn't go quick
1: I feel yeah
0: so okay. what has uh, been culturally enriching your world
1: Well, Jack, I too have read little and have been on the internet uh, and listening to podcasts. And one of my favorite podcasts of late um, is called Drilled, which is by Amy Westervelt. And it's a climate crisis podcast. And She's the best, and there's lots that happen on the, um, on the podcast, but I'll tell you about two things. One was a recent episode called Climate Guilt brought to you by Big Oil, and did you know that the term carbon footprint was coined by BP? Would you look at that?
0: I did not, but I'm somehow unsurprised to learn that.
1: Yeah. And so this episode talks about this new study um, that came out of Harvard that basically examined the way that language is used by fossil fuel companies to, on the one hand, sort of take the blame away from themselves, and then on the other hand, put the blame onto consumers and individuals. Um, and it's a very interesting look at, um, it's kind of something that I, I had felt suspicious of for a while, um, but this is kind of like concrete proof. Um, and there's another series that I've been getting into from Drilled, it's I think season three. And it's basically about the development of the kind of propaganda machine of big oil. Um, And it sort of traces the rise of public relations as um, like a thing in itself. Um, And then it kind of traces how fossil fuel companies perfected it as, as one of their sort of central ways of doing business. To me, it's really, Um, fascinating because I love thinking about the way that, you know, language is used, um, in these kinds of ways where like, you know, you'll, you're constantly seeing ads of, you know, there's like greenwashing or like, you know, like actually Exxon's a friendly company that's, that's donated 0.0001% of its thing to like one pollinator garden near you or something like that but at the same time it points to i think there's a maddening even though we're like finally in a place where it seems like in the mainstream it's like okay the climate change is real and it's bad uh and we're getting less and less of the both sides of like but on the other hand there's a quack scientist paid by (laughs) VP, who says, you never know until you know, but we're still kind of like, in this haze about like, well, how did we get to this point? Um, Like, how did we get to the point where we've already raised the average temperature of the earth by more than one degree Celsius? And I think often, you know, it can be framed in a way that's like, Well, you consumers, you just love your your big gas guzzling cars and you love buying all your stupid plastic shit, Um, which, like, in part, it's true. But on the other hand, the fossil fuel industry has known about climate change for several decades and they've known it's bad and they have deliberately uh, waged a misinformation campaign to sow doubt into the existence of climate change and also to uh evade responsibility and put the blame on someone else um it's a great podcast and I've that sounds enjoying... great i'm
0: gonna subscribe right now
1: no that's but so the drilled
0: right. podcast amy westervelt i'm on it
1: boom check it out
0: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack rossiter Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry@gmail.com at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack rossiter Connor is at Connor M. Stratton and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.